around verse 40, talking about the early church, and we'll explain kind of what that means in a second. But I uh, heard you guys had a great service last week. Um, I wasn't able to be here. Um, I had gout in my foot, which was fun. And um, so I'm on steroids right now. So if there's a prophet in the house this morning instead of a pastor, you'll understand why. I promise I'm nice right now. But earlier this week, mom and dad were warning me about the prophet's anointing coming upon me because I'm on steroids. So that can make me a little aggressive. Uh, I don't think I'm too aggressive right now, but if I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger by next Sunday, you'll understand why. So I feel better. I can walk, which that's a plus. Last week, I couldn't walk on my foot. Um, So Acts 2 and verse 40, uh, it says, Acts 2 and verse 40, it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. In verse 41, then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. In verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among anyone who had need. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47, notice after all these things were happening, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Can I get amen this morning? Notice, They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So today we want to talk somewhat somewhat about the early church, and uh, this morning I want to talk about, it's kind of a long title, but I want to talk about four values of the early church. Four values of the early church. And I'm going to tell you today why that pertains to you today. Four values of the early church. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we mentioned this, and just to kind of give you context of what we're talking about this morning, is the book of Acts is really the history of the early church. It is the first 30 years of the church, and it takes place right after Jesus goes to be uh, with his Father in heaven, and he tells the early disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out in Jerusalem in the upper room. Now, at that time, there was about 120 followers of Jesus. 120 people in an upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And so the book of Acts really covers, like I said, the first 30 years of the early church. And it covers really what happens when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and what the church started doing to change the known world at that time. Because they did change the known world at that time. And they turned the world upside down, it says in the Bible, in the book of Acts. It says that these early believers turned the world upside down because of the power of God upon their lives and what God was doing through his church. Now, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but let me mention it again. The book of Acts is the beginning of the move of God, not the end. Come on now, somebody. The book of Acts is what Jesus began to do and teach, not what he finished beginning to do and teach. It's what he began to do because God is still doing it, but he's not doing it through 
just Jesus in heaven. He's doing it through the body of Christ on the earth. And when Jesus was here in physical form, he was doing it through his physical body. But now Jesus is no longer with us necessarily on the earth. He's in heaven, but he's with us by his spirit and through his church. So if it's going to get done, the church is going to have to do it. If it's going to be moved, the church is going to have to do it. If somebody's going to be healed, guess what? The body of Christ is going to have to do it. If somebody's going to get delivered, the body of Christ, which is us, is going to have to do it. If somebody's going to get saved, the body of Christ is going to have to do it, which the Bible says, we are us, the body of Christ. Now, he's the head, and he's where the power comes from, but we are the body. And guess what? The hands and the feet are in the body, not in the head. If we're going to go somewhere, if we're going to do something, if we're going to lay hands on people, if we're going to touch people and heal people and deliver people, it's not happening through Jesus in heaven. It's happening through his body on the earth. Come on now, somebody. That's the truth. It's happening through us. And that does not diminish Jesus. Because he's the one who set it up that way. Later on in the New Testament, it says, as he is, so are we in this world. That's the way he wanted it. That his children, that his body would all be a part of the plan and mission of God. Not just us looking at what he did, but him showing us what we can do as the body of Christ. And he gets great pleasure and great glory when his church lives and operates that way. Not when we're waiting around for a move of God. Not when we're waiting for God to heal people. Not when we're waiting for God to deliver people. Not when we're waiting for God to save our friends and family. He gets pleasure when the body of Christ goes into action. Not just sitting around waiting for him to do something, because if it be thy will, Lord. It's already his will. He said it was. There's no reason to wait. He said it was his will. Now, the book of Acts, it's amazing because it's called the book of Acts. Implying... There's something to see. There's something to feel. There's something to hear. It's not passive. It's active. The church is active. And we're only in the will of God when we're active as believers, not passive. Did you know that? Many Christians are frustrated because they're not active with their faith. And they're thinking it's God. And they're thinking it's the preacher. Where you at? You, you, went, you went somewhere. You went down the road. They're thinking it's the worship team. They're thinking it's something else in their life. No, it's because you're not active. And when you're not active, you're out of the will of God. And so it's not a fun, happy, exciting place to be. The book of Acts, that tells me there's action. There's action. The early church believed this, and we're going to get into this more today. But the early church believed that being a part of the church was much more than coming to church on Sunday morning from 10 to 12 o'clock. And if that's all you think that church is and all that you think you're a part of, you are way, way, way behind what God has provided for you. If this is the only time you feel like you're the church during the week, or you're being the church, or you're living the church, or you're going to church, then you are way behind 
what the book of Acts people believed. Sunday is a starting place, not a finishing place. Really what happens on Sunday is we get together, we encourage each other, we love on one another, we pray for one another, we get in worship together. Somebody who's anointed of God, hopefully me at the moment. Okay, a couple people. (laughs) Gets up here because that's what they're called to do and tries to encourage you in your faith so you can be active Monday through Saturday, not just sit around till next Sunday service. To come back and say, that was a good word, brother. It's a good word. Good word. God bless you. It's a good word. Strong word. Spirit-filled word. Word of faith word. Good word. Did a good job. It's got to go beyond that. Really, the... Um, am I saying too much so far? This is just the intro. <laughs> really, the, the key or really the... Um, Really, the, the key would be if this sermon is helpful or productive, that it goes into Monday and into Wednesday and into Friday night. Because if it doesn't, then there's no reason for people to preach on Sunday. Hello, somebody. You know you heard a good message when you're living it out the rest of the week. If you forget it tomorrow morning, then either you need to find a new preacher, a new church, or something. You need to find a church that is going to preach a message to you that's going to affect your Monday through Saturday, not just your Sunday. It's not a good message if you just shout and say amen and take notes on Sunday, but it makes no difference your Monday through Saturday. That's not a good message. And hopefully I try not to preach messages that don't do those things to you. But I'm saying the messages that are really going to change your life are the messages that you can apply Monday through Saturday, not just shout about it on Sunday. Not just take notes and fill up notebooks on Sunday morning and say, man, I got all these notes. I got great notes. Okay, well, you could teach Bible college, but can you change anybody's life? I mean, we'll, we'll put you down at the seminary in the Bible college, but can you talk to your coworker? Who really cares at the end of the day? All right. I'll keep the rest to myself. No, I'm joking. I won't. So this early church, um, this early church, they were full of life, full of passion. And so what happens is there's 120 of them in Jerusalem in an upper room with the door locked because they're scared. Because they just killed Jesus, as you would be also. Now, the thing is, we judge these early disciples of Jesus because we know the whole book. They didn't have the book of Acts to read at the moment. They were living it. So they didn't know it was going to turn out good. We think, man, those little wimps, get out of the upper room, go do something. But if you're in that situation and your leader just got murdered by the Roman government and they know that they were after you too, you would probably have the door locked also. You would have some security. So that's where they were. And Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. And then what happens is Acts 2, and we're not going to read all that. But Acts 2, it says that on the day of Pentecost, which was really 50 days after Passover, that 
what happened on the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit got poured out. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven, filled everybody that was there. It says that they began to speak in other tongues. That's where people freak out, but it's scriptural. They began to speak in other tongues, and it gives a lot of different examples of what started happening. Now, what's significant about that is the time that um, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem was this. That there was people from all over the known world in Jerusalem at the time of the day of Pentecost. That wasn't on accident. Why would God pour out his spirit when it happens to be a time in Jerusalem where there's people from all over the world? Because he wanted the gospel spread throughout the whole entire planet. So it's significant. He, he knew the right time and the right place. And he chose on the day of Pentecost, there would be people from all over the world there when that happened. So this is what happened. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. They said they began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was people from all over the known world in Jerusalem at that time. So they came out of the upper room. And the thing was, they heard these 120 people speaking in different languages. And some of them thought they were drunk. Some of them thought they were drunk. And they said that. Some of them didn't know what to think, but it's interesting whether God gave them the languages to speak or it's the way that people heard it, but there was something supernatural happened in the book of Acts that they weren't just speaking in tongues and it was gibberish. When these 120 early believers were praying in tongues or speaking in tongues and languages, they were speaking in all the languages of all the people from out for, throughout the whole world that were there in Jerusalem. So what they were hearing in their ears was the gospel in their own language. Now listen to what it says here in Acts 2. You guys follow me so far. In Acts 2 and verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, notice, from every nation under heaven. In verse 6, And when the sound occurred, the multiple came together and they were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Everyone heard them speak in his own language. So they came out of the upper room. They were praying in tongues or speaking in tongues. But it wasn't necessarily sometimes the speaking in tongues that we think of that sometimes you can't understand. It's not a known language. It's unknown. At that time, they were speaking in languages that weren't their natural tongue, but they were languages of people from all around the world. God gave them that ability. And they were speaking in a way that each person could understand, and they were proclaiming the gospel and the glory of God in everyone's language. So they knew something supernatural was happening because they're like, there's 120 people that are Jewish people that speak Hebrew. They don't have education. They don't have online languages that you could learn one in a day. They're speaking in all these different languages throughout the world, and they have no training to do so. Something supernatural is happening, and some people said they were drunk. Some people said it's God. Some people said it's supernatural. And so that was what was happening on that first day of the church. But it's interesting, it says, when they came together, in verse 6, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Everyone heard him speak in his own language. Now, this is just a side note. 
to what we're talking about today. You ever heard anybody say, now you're, now you're talking my language? Oh, yeah. Oh, come on now. You're talking my language now. How many know when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, are you here? You can speak to people in a way that you can't in your natural strength. And you can talk their own language. Because the Holy Spirit knows what to say and when to say it and how to say it that it will affect people. And right now I'm not talking so much that God is going to give you the ability to speak uh, German or... Well, some of you need to learn how to speak English to begin with. But some of you to learn how to speak Spanish or French. But God can give you the ability, just like these early believers, these 120 believers, that you can talk in a way that everybody hears it in their own language. Why? Because it's not just you talking, it's the Holy Spirit talking through you. Come on now, somebody. And when the Holy Spirit is talking through you and using you and ministering to you, you could be talking to a lot of people and they all hear the same thing in their own language and understand what you're saying. We need to believe for that as believers in Jesus. That when you talk to people, that you can talk in their language because the Holy Spirit is helping you talk to them. That when you talk to them, that they understand what you're saying. That when you talk to them, that the Holy Spirit would give you the right words at the right time in the right season to speak a word that they hear in their own ears in their own language. Can God do it? Yes, he can. And so... These early 120 believers spoke in the languages of these people from all around the world because the Spirit of God gave them the voice and the words to say, and everyone heard them speak, notice, in their own language. Now, that's not my message. That was just something fun for you guys to take home with you. And then he goes on, and Peter gets up to preach the Word of God. The same Peter who is denying Jesus to a middle school girl a few days ago. No offense, middle school girls. We love you. We appreciate you. There's one on the front row. Chloe, we love you. We appreciate you. But the same Peter who is afraid to say that he belonged to Jesus and that he was a follower of Jesus, 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he had a spirit of boldness upon him to get up in front of everybody in the whole entire town and preach to them the good news and the gospel of Jesus, and he wasn't afraid to do it. Knowing, not that he was going to get a Facebook message. Knowing that somebody just wasn't going to write him a nasty email. Knowing, notice, that he could lose his life if he said this. Not somebody criticized you on social media or sent you a nasty text. <laughs> Isn't it pathetic how American persecution is compared to the rest of the world? Oh my gosh. Knowing that he could lose his life, real persecution. Knowing he could lose his life, Peter gets up in front of thousands of people and proclaims the gospel. So that leads us to Acts 2 and verse 40. So he preaches a message. Now this message is only like five minutes long. Now you're saying, why isn't Peter preaching this morning? Well, he's not. I am. And I'm not preaching five minutes long. 
he preaches like a five-minute long message. And this is what happens on this first day of the church. Acts 2 and verse 40, it says, when, With many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's like the end of his message. In verse 41, And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all that had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those being saved. All right, you still here? You're still excited about the rest of this message. Okay. So what happens is at the end of the message, there's 120 people that are followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. 120. Everybody say 120. Okay. And at the end of the message, Peter gives an altar call. And notice not a politically correct altar call. He says, be saved from this perverse generation. You would get hate mail for saying that in most churches. Especially if you said that on TV. Saved from what? Perverse generation. Don't judge me. And notice what happens because the Holy Spirit was on his words. He says, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. He told them, be saved from this perverse generation, and they gladly received the word that he had to say. Now, there's a big difference between somebody trying to call people out in their own strength and somebody anointed by the Spirit of God to say something on the way people receive it. Because you could try to tell people the truth Because you feel like that you're Jesus' right-hand man to tell the world the truth about their situation. But if you're not anointed by God, they'll get offended and they won't gladly receive it. And you'll do more harm to the church than you realize. But notice when the Holy Spirit's on what you have to say, they'll gladly receive it. And sometimes it could be a straight statement. Like, be saved from this perverse generation. But notice there's a difference. When the Holy Spirit's working with you, people will receive what you have to say differently. That's the key. And so it says those gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 souls were added to them. So now we got 3,120 believers. The first church, the early church, was a mega church. I don't know if you realize that. The first church was a mega church. The first church was a big church. And this idea that if we're small, we're right and we're holy, it's not scriptural. The fact is, it's not a problem that you start small. It's not a problem that you start small. It's a problem if you stay small. Because the church should be growing. 
And the church should be moving. And the church should be reaching people. And if it's not, it's not really being the church. You hear this morning, you're receiving this. So the first church was a mega church, really, in the eyes of uh, the world. 3,120 people, that's a big church. And notice, they didn't have sound systems back then, and they didn't have the church buildings we had, have now. They didn't have the lights we have now. They didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have websites. They didn't have offering envelopes. They didn't have any of these things, but they had 3,120 people at the beginning of the church. And so we're going to talk about these four values that the early church had. Now, why does this pertain to us today? Well, the early church or the book of Acts gives us the blueprint on the way that we should do church. Because we believe the book of Acts is inspired by God. We believe that the book of Acts is God telling us how his church should be, what his church should do. And so when we read the book of Acts, it's not just something to say, oh, that's sweet. That's awesome they did that. No, it's something that we can model as a church, and we should. Now, the four things I'm talking about today are things that not just this church, but every church on the planet who's really a church that believes in Jesus and is trying to follow the Bible should be. Now, here's, here's the big difference here. The things that I'm mentioning today are not style issues. The things that I'm mentioning today are not the way things look or the way things sound or anything like that because we realize culture changes. Clothing changes. Sound changes. Worship songs change. Chairs change. Carpet changes. Thank God. Paint changes. Technology changes. Everything changes. Now, that's not what I'm talking about today. Those are things that are changeable. And those are things that we need to change. But there are other things that are in the Bible that we don't need to change. Because they are foundations or values that God put in place that need to be a part of our lives and a part of the church. And so that's what I'm talking about today. So we're not talking about the changeable things. Those are secondary issues. They're not important anyways. But we're talking about the unchangeable things, which is God's word and the values and the foundations that God wants us to have personally, but as a church. Now, I know that you would agree with me. It's amazing. People that in the past 20, 30, 40 years believe that church has to be the same. Well, you don't want to go back to the way that it was 2,000 years ago in the early church if we're going to be scriptural. Would you like to wear a robe to church this morning? No, you wouldn't. Would you like to be out in the dirt this morning? No, you wouldn't. Would you like to have candlelight? No, you wouldn't. We probably wouldn't have the instruments we have today 2,000 years ago. So this idea that things can't change or we need to go back to the early church. Well, we do in some areas, but not everything. There's things that are changeable and there's things that are unchangeable. But we need to model our lives and our church after the book of Acts. All right, so the first one is this. There's four things, four values, personally and as a church, that the early church did. First is devotion. Devotion. 
they were devoted to the things of God. The early church was people that had a personal devotion to God and the ways of God. So that's the first value you want to talk about, devotion. Now, when you say somebody is devoted, a lot of times you mean they're committed. A very devoted person is a very committed person. That early church was very committed and devoted to the things of God and to the mission of God. And they had personal devotion. And devotion, really, this word is not out of duty, but it's out of love and enthusiasm. I know a lot of times when we say devotion, especially you that grown up in church, you're thinking my devotional time, which can get really cheesy, or it can get really, I don't want to do that. I used to have to do that because my parents made me spend a devotional time with God out of my precious moments Bible. See, that's real church people remember that stuff. Or I had my VeggieTales Bible, and I read the devotional in it all the time. And I said, Mom and Dad, I don't want to read this, but I have to. And so when we say devotion or devotional, people already sometimes start to get a negative attitude. But the early church were devoted and committed, and that's not a negative thing. It's not. Being committed to God and devoted to God And doing some things in your life over and over again is not duty, it's love. It's not because you have to, it's because you want to. And these early people were devoted to God. They had a devotional life and they devoted themselves to the things of God. I'm going to tell you a couple ways they did that and a couple ways that we still do that today. It says in Acts 2 and verse 42, it said, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship, in the breaking of bread, in prayers. They, notice they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now that's, that's a big word. All the doctrine means is teaching. That's all it means. It's so modern day, what, what could we say? They continued steadfastly in what they were being taught at church. You follow me? They continued steadfastly with studying what their church is preaching about. They continued studying and trying to get in the scriptures as much as they could. And it says they continued on and they met from, and fellowshiped and in breaking of bread and notice and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in fellowship in prayers. So if we're going to be devoted people and we're going to have this attitude of devotion, then the word of God and prayer is going to have to be a priority. Now that's what we see in the early church. And I know sometimes, especially us, because I know this because I've grown grown up in church my whole life. When you say Get in the Bible and pray. Everybody says, <laughs> which is wrong. But because you've heard it your whole life, and sometimes people force you to do it, so you have a bad attitude, but that doesn't mean your attitude is right. Because maybe you're doing it all wrong this whole time. 
And this is a foundation or a value of the early church. If you want to be close to God, if you want to be in the mission of God, the word of God and prayer are non-negotiables. They are unchangeable things. They are unchangeable. They are the way that you stay devoted and committed to God. They keep you solid. They keep you excited. They keep you in love. They keep you passionate about God is personal devotion to God. In this early church, notice they had devotion. Now, how did they do that? Well, the Word of God, there's two different ways we get the Word of God in us. Primarily, one way you get the Word of God in us is when you come to church. And you hear somebody who's anointed to preach to you the Word of God, you get something that way. Which, they just said that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had spiritual leaders preaching them the Word of God ongoingly. That's scriptural. We didn't just make that up. That's in the Bible. That's one way you get the word of God in you. But the other way is, guess what? We live in a world where you can have your own Bible. (laughs) Now, we don't get it because hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, people didn't have their own Bibles to carry around. We take it for granted. Right now on your smartphone, You could download the Bible app and have hundreds of translations of the Bible for free. When people hundreds and thousands of years ago would do anything for a couple pages of the Bible. Think about the blessings. Think about what we have today in the day and age we live in. The availability to get into the word of God whenever we want. And beyond that, we have translations that we can actually understand. Do you realize for the past 400 some years, there was only one translation? The King James Version, which nobody understood other than King James. But we live in a day and an age of technology and scholars who have translated the Bible in almost every known language, but then hundreds of other translations that make it easy for somebody who's living in a modern age to understand what this word says and still be true to the original language. What a blessed time we live in. So if we're going to be devoted to God, we're going to have to, first of all, the the way you get the word of God in you or you're devoted is you listen to anointed preaching. Now, you listen to anointed preaching, you can come on Sunday and listen to that. But also, guess what? We have technology. You can listen to podcasts all week long. I tell you what, I listen to podcasts of people all around the world all week long. I have church every day of my life. I listen to tons of preachers from all around the world because of technology. I'm getting the word of God in me that way. But also, our Bibles. And they said... They also did another thing. They gave themselves to prayer. Now let's look at Acts 6 and verse 4. So one of the values of the early church was devotion. And how do we have devotion or we live a life devoted to God? The two ways to keep that stirred up is the word of God and prayer. I know some people will say, man, I've heard that, but that's the answer. It's unchanging. It's something that God put in place for us. In Acts 6 and verse 4, it says, 
But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice, who's giving themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word? Who? Who? Two people know. Let me try that again. Who's giving themselves? Who? We. We. It didn't say, God made me give myself to the word and prayer. Didn't say the church made me. Didn't say my parents made me. It said, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the word. Now, how do you live a devoted life? You give yourselves, you. Point at yourself, say me. Point at yourself again, say me. You give yourself to prayer and to the word. Notice that's an act of your will. That's not an act of your feelings. And the more you give yourself to it, the more you'll get out of it. And the more you give yourself to it, the more you'll want to do it. Because the more you repeat a habit, the more you want to do it. The same way with the word of God in prayer. And it says, notice, we will give ourselves... God's not going to make us. Our pastors aren't going to make us. We will give ourselves to prayer and to the word. Why? Because we want to live devoted lives. And the number one way we live devoted lives is we give ourselves to the word in prayer. There's no way around it. There's no way to be a strong believer and follower of Jesus without the word in prayer. The word in prayer. In prayer. Those are foundations that are never moved. Those are values that never change. But notice we have to give ourselves to it. And we have to give ourselves to it when we don't feel like it. Because usually that's when we need it the most. I heard a preacher a long time ago say this, and it's still the truth. They said, put the word of God in you when you don't need it, so it'll be there when you do need it. Now we know we always need it. But you know what he was saying. There's sometimes you really need it more than other times. And when you constantly put the word of God in prayer in you, when you're not necessarily feeling goosebumps and like, amen, this is awesome. I'm getting a lot out of Leviticus today. But then days down the road or months down the road or weeks down the road, a scripture from Leviticus will come up to you and you'll say, what the heck? How does that scripture fit with me today? But notice it's inspired by God. So God will bring it back up to you. And you're like, that's what I need. But if you wouldn't have put it in you three weeks ago when you didn't feel like it, it wouldn't have been there. Are you getting something so far? So if we're going to live devoted lives, a life of devotion like the early church, the word of God and prayer has to be a priority. And notice we have to give ourselves to it. Once again, let me encourage you with that. There's no excuse. We live in a day with technology, with apps on our phone, with podcasts. These are all things that are free. We can do it if we want to do it. The same person that says, I have no time to read the Bible, scrolls Facebook for two and a half hours a day. Yeah, I knew there wouldn't be much said there. The same Stay-at-home mom that says, I have no time to do a devotional, goes through Pinterest for three hours and a half. 
but, but that wouldn't be any of you guys, of course. Same guy that's, you know, working, working a job, nine to five, doing his best, you know, watches ESPN for a couple hours, but says, you know, I don't really have any time for me and God. There's a lot going on. Maybe cut back on a couple hours at ESPN. I mean, you already watched it two hours. It's just the same thing all day long repeating itself. Just a thought from your local pastor. But notice, we will give ourselves to prayer and to the word. So number one value is devotion. Number two is community. Community. Acts 2, Acts 2, and we're going to talk about community for a second here. Acts 2 and verse 42. It said, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, or we could say community, And in breaking the bread and in prayers, and let's jump down to verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The second thing I want to talk about is community. The early church was a divine community. You realize that every community that people are a part of on the planet are a wannabe divine community of God. Nobody wants to live this life by themselves. Nobody wants to be a part of just an insignificant life off by themselves. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, don't they? But the world goes around it a different way. And now there's nothing wrong with some of these things, but there's a greater desire and there's a greater yearning for a deeper community, but people have superficial ones to fill that void. Whether that's a sports team, whether that's a knitting club, I don't know, I'm throwing that out. Whether that's a school program, hello somebody. Or people join these causes to save the whales, save the Arctic, save the hermit crabs. People join causes. Why? Because it's all about community. They want to be a part of community. Why do people in college join fraternities and sororities? It's about community. Why do people in different towns join clubs in uh, different FCAs, and there's all these different communities and associations because it's a desire in all of us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And notice, those things aren't wrong necessarily, but there's a greater desire and yearning that's only met by the church. So we could fill our lives full of so many distractions, and we wonder why we're still empty, but we're a part of so many clubs and associations, we don't have any time to even breathe during the week but we're still unsatisfied because it's the church that you're missing out on. Y'all still here? And it's the divine community. They did life together. Now, the Bible calls it fellowship, but a newer word would be community. And that word fellowship is not just, hey, brother, God bless you. How you doing? And then you don't talk to him the rest of the week. Or, You know, you high-five somebody, how you doing? And you've had a horrible week, and you're like, I'm too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) Or, 
you know, if there was, there was any more blessings, I couldn't receive it. I need a twin or something. I don't know. what They say all sorts of dumb stuff. I'm like, huh, what? I would need a twin to receive it? What do you mean by that exactly? It's deeper than I come to church, I say, God bless you. Good to see you, Bob. Good to see you. God bless. All right. I'm going to go live my life the rest of the week. God bless. Good week. Praise God. No, this fellowship in this community is deeper than that. It's a close, mutual relationship. And ultimately, this is something we've been talking about in our church. It's participation in life together. Life together. That's what the early church did. They lived life together. They did life together. And when I say life, we're not talking about Sunday from 10 to 12. That's not your life. And if you really want to change, and if you really want to grow, and you really want to have this community, you need to do life together with other believers. Now, some of you who don't want anybody in your business... don't want to do that. But notice, that's exactly what you need is somebody in your business to help you because they love you and they want to do life together with you. And I know there's extroverts and there's introverts in here. Some people like people more than other people like people. (laughs) Did you catch that? But we all need people in our lives. We all need each other. We all need to do life with somebody. There's no such thing as a lone ranger believer. There's no such thing as somebody who can make it on their own. It's not scriptural and it's not smart. And I've never seen one person be spiritually strong living life by themselves. It doesn't happen. It cannot happen. You still listen this morning. So they were a part of this community. They did life together. And that's something that we're going to talk about at the end of service because life groups are about to start back very soon. I know you're excited about it. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Come on, somebody say something about life groups that's positive. So life groups are starting back up, and that's an easy way to get planted and get plugged into Life together with people. So the second value is community fellowship, a close relationship. They live life together. Notice it says they were in the temple, which is church, and then they met house to house, which that's doing life together. So this is not something that we just made up. This is scriptural. As a church, if we're really going to be the church, we don't just come to the temple or the church, we go from house to house. We live life together. That's what this early church did. They didn't just meet once a week and talk about God. They lived every day together. They fellowshiped. They lived their life. They ate together. Something that reoccurs a lot in this passage is they met from house to house, And they ate together. And they broke bread together. Now, we all like to eat in here. Come on, let's just raise our hand. 
Everybody likes eating here. You know, the meal is significant. Now, we don't treat it significant because we live in the Western culture. We live in a Western world where a lot of times we don't even sit down to eat. We eat in our cars. We go through the fast food. We eat standing up. We eat walking. We don't even sit down for a meal with other people because that's just our culture. But the culture that this was written in, which is still that way over in the Middle East and Europe and Asia, they still live like this. The meal is the biggest thing in the day. It's the most significant part of the day because there's something special about it because it's sharing your life with other people. How many know if you don't eat, you will die? Not to get too morbid on a Sunday morning. But if you don't eat, you will die. Now, we take it lightly because we can go through McDonald's and just, whatever, it's not a big deal. But especially during that period of time, these people, you worked the entire week just so you could have a good meal with your own hands. So when you shared a meal with somebody else, that's saying, I'm not just sharing a burger with you. I'm sharing my life with you. I gave my life for this meal. I gave my heart for this meal. I gave my blood, sweat, and tears for this meal. So when they ate a meal, that was special and that was significant, meaning we are sharing life together. Are you seeing the difference between the way we think about it and the way that they live in that culture? But notice, it says they did life together, they ate together, they took communion together. It's part of fellowship, part of doing life together. And I encourage you in here, some of you, make times in your life that you can eat at each other's houses. Make times that you could do something special for one another. Make times that you can let people into your life that you can do life together. That's all a part of being a part of a community, of living this value of community and fellowship. Number three. Number three, honor. You guys still here? In Acts 2, in verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, that word fear is kind of misleading. It's not talking about, I'm scared, so I'm going to run and hide. It's more talking about a sense of awe and reverence. Or we could say honor. Now, I don't know if you watch the news or anything, but people don't honor Christians. It's not respectable to be a Christian anymore. And we knew this would happen. But notice, the early church, there was a sense of honor. There was a sense of reverence and fear towards the things of God and towards God and even the leaders of God. 
And not in a way like I'm scared I'm running away, but like I said, in of honor and reverence. And it was in the church and it was outside of the church also. That these men and women of God walked in so much power, the Roman government feared and reverenced the church because of the power they walked in. I'm believing the body of Christ is coming into a day like that. That not that we're just walking around large and in charge being bossy Christians, but we walk in so much power and authority and God has favored us so much that the world takes notice and shows us honor and fear and reverence, not for our sake, but for the sake of the church and the kingdom of God. And we already know there's people like that in this country and around the world. There's people that God has strategically placed, preachers, pastors, evangelists, that are being effective in government and in culture right now. And there's honor. But let me take another angle. The early church had honor for what God was doing. They had honor for the things of God. They had honor for the times they met together. They had honor for the leaders that God put in their life. And that's why they saw the change and the miracles they saw. I'm going to just throw out this challenge to you because I know sometimes we could get used to coming to church so much we don't honor it anymore. And then we wonder why we don't get much out of church. A little too honest on Sunday morning? Because you're coming with a neutral, whatever happens attitude. And guess what? You're going to walk out with the same thing that you expect to get. But this early church, when they came to church, they honored God and they had so much honor, they realized, I really think that God's actually going to show up and he's actually going to do something and he's actually going to change some lives. And this, this is not just another service. This is not just another time I can say that I went to church. This is not just another time that I can make myself feel better because I came to church on a Sunday morning. I actually honor God and I believe something's actually going to happen to me. And to other people. And God is going to change lives because I have honor. Are you seeing the difference between the way some people go to church and the way others go to church? And the early church had honor. And notice what it says happened. Many signs and wonders were done because of that. There's churches that make fun of the Holy Spirit. Guess what? He's not doing anything there. No honor. There's churches that make fun of people like us that believe in healing and deliverance in the spirit-filled life. Guess what? God's not doing anything there because there's no honor. But you know what? The same thing applies for us. Just because we say we believe it on paper doesn't mean we honor God when we come to church. Doesn't mean we don't honor God in our daily lives doesn't mean we have this reverence for God. And you know what I mean by this because I'm a joking person. I don't know if you notice this, but my dad and myself are two different people. <laughs> Do you notice that? Now, some people say I'm like my mom, but I'm not going to repeat that when she's here. Okay? She does not need any more ammo than she already has. 
But you can tell there's somebody who jokes around a little bit more in the family. And there's other people that are a little bit serious and offended by jokes. Okay? (laughs) But just because I'm made up that way doesn't mean I can't still have honor and reverence when I need to. Because I joke around and I have a good time. And I don't think God's pleased when we're all just like, (laughs) you got to be serious. Honor, reverence. God's not pleased when we're like that, but it's attitude of the heart. You still can be a fun person, a joke around person, and still be honored towards God. Like I I could joke around all day, but when I'm here, I'm honoring God. I really believe that he's going to do something, and I'm taking this serious. And so that third value is honor. And lastly, we're going to close with this, is generosity. Generosity. The early church were givers. They were givers. And notice what happens when God really comes into your life and changes your life. You'll be a giver. You will. Now I'm going to be blunt right now. If you're still stingy and a mooch all the time, I doubt that God's really in there. I doubt that you're really letting God change your life because when he changes your life, he changes your nature. He changes your want to. And so you become a giver just like he is a giver because God is the ultimate giver. God so loved that he gave. God is a giver. So when he comes on the inside of you, you will be a giver. In this early church, notice when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they became generous people. There was a spirit of generosity. In Acts 2, in verse 44, it says, Now all believed were together, unity, and had all things in common. And notice, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now let's look over at Acts 4 in verse 32. Now we're closing here. I know I've been excited today. I had a lot to talk about. Acts 4 in verse 32. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, listen to this again. Now there, was any, there wasn't anyone among them that lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed each one to anyone who had need. So this early church, a value of the early church that we need to make a part of our life was generosity. They were generous people. They were giving people. And notice, it's a level of generosity beyond most churches. Now I'm going to take you a step further. Are you ready? Now, at our church, we've done this for years and years, but we do have you know, a a fund at our church that we can help people. 
We've done that before many times. I know there's many of you, and that's, that's for members only. That's not just for everybody. That we paid people's cars. We paid for groceries. We paid for bills. We paid, paid for rent. We've helped people in need at our church. Now, that's our church together. But this early church did that, but they even went a step further. And this is something I want to encourage you, especially with life groups starting, is it says that if there was anyone that had need that they knew about, they would do whatever it took to sell what they had to meet that need. Well, I'm not going to sell my stuff that you don't use, that sits in your closet for the past 10 years. You're not going to sell your stuff. But I need that. You know, this early church, notice it's not just a small group of people. This is thousands and thousands of people, and it says nobody lacked anything. Nobody was poor. Nobody was broke. Nobody was hungry. Nobody was in need. All of these thousands and thousands of believers had all their needs met. Why? Because they were in community with one another, and they were generous not just to the church, but to each other. Looking for ways to meet the needs of one another. Can I challenge you? Can we start doing that? That's what the church does. That's who the church is. So we're generous. We're givers. Look for ways that we can meet the needs of other people. That's really doing life with other people. When you're committed to somebody... You don't just say, what do I need? You say, how can I help meet your needs? That's what real community and real generosity does. We will be givers. Now, let me put a disclaimer on this. If you're the one who has needs, don't broadcast all your needs 24-7. Say, well, pastor said, well, you know what? Brother Les... Um, Pastor said today, you know, I have some needs, so I have a bill that needs to be paid next month, Brother Les, and I have a car payment then, and uh, I need groceries here. Now, that's not what I mean by that. You're trying to hit up people in the church that you think have finances. But there is a real genuine within friendship within community, within relationships, that you can talk like that with one another. And you should be able to. So I want to encourage you. I know life groups are starting. If you notice that there's people in your life group that have needs, maybe get some people together and say, hey, can we meet this need? Maybe it could be, hey, they want some new clothes, and I have a bunch of clothes that would fit them that are the same size. I could give them some of my clothes. Maybe they're looking for a tool and they were going to go out and buy one, but I have one in my garage I never used before. I mean, this is pretty simple, people. Think of creative ways that we can meet each other's needs. And when we do that, that's really the church. That's really the church. So, four values. Devotion. Generosity, community, 
and honor. And I want to read this last verse, and then we're going to talk about life groups for a moment. I preach so much, I'm hoarse now. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Acts 2 and verse 47. Did you guys get something this morning? I know I had a lot to say, but it was all stuff that needed to be said. Because they embodied these four values, notice what happened. The church grew, and this is what the testimony of the church was. Praising God. So I would say that's an excited church. A happy church, praising God. Wasn't like we did all these things and we had a subdued, depressed church. Nobody liked each other because we lived this way. Praising God, notice, in having favor with all the people. I take that as favor with all the people in here, but all the favor with all the people out there. Because God's moving. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So notice when this early church lived this way, with honor, with generosity, with devotion, with all these characteristics, with community. What happened was the church was praising God, was favored, was excited, and the Lord added to the church daily. Daily. He didn't say weekly on Sunday morning. Daily. The church was so exciting and so attractive That people every day said, hey, I want to be a part of that. I want to go there. I want to be in your life group. I want to do life with you. I want to follow the Jesus you follow. Not just on Sundays. The Lord added to the church daily. And I'm believing we're coming into a time like that where the Lord is going to add to the church daily. Are you in agreement with that? The Lord's going to add to the church daily. The Lord's going to add people into your life daily. Because we live these values of the early church. Well, can I get amen this morning? As we close, life groups are starting very soon. And um, we're going to have a handout in a moment. Don't pass it out yet. So here's kind of uh, the way we're going to do it. Now, life groups are going to be starting very soon. Like I said, next Sunday is the sign-up for life groups after service. We're going to have a sign-up. And this week, some of you probably already got an email about life groups, but this week, we're going to give you a handout that has all the life groups, the names, the dates, who's leading them, so that you can kind of have a week to decide what group you'd like to be a part of. Now, I know we were kind of trying to figure this out the last time we did this, But we decided um, you don't have to change life groups if you don't want to. I decided, you know, just for the size groups we have right now and the size church we have right now, if you want to sign up for the same life group, you can. It's perfectly okay. If you want to sign up for a different one, it's okay. We just want you to sign up. And you know what? We'll make room for you. I know there's some groups that are bigger than others. That's okay. We're working with what we got. Bottom line is we just want you to sign up and get plugged in somewhere. 
even if it's a group who has more than others. Now, we try to kind of evenly divide it up, but that always doesn't work. But we want you to get involved. So, ushers, could you hand these out to everybody here? Just so you could take home, pray over it, think about it. Till next Sunday morning where you guys can sign up. It's exciting, isn't it? So these are the life groups for this 2017 spring kind of semester we're doing. And uh, you guys can look at those. There's men's groups, there's women's groups, and then we have groups for the Corey age, for the girls and the guys at middle school and high school. So look this over, pray this over. And like I said, next Sunday, you can get signed up. I encourage you to sign up next Sunday. Even if you can't sign up next Sunday, just call the office. We'll get you plugged in. We just want you to be a part. So even if you don't uh, get to sign up next week, it's okay. So pray over this. Think about this. It's going to be an exciting next round of life group. I know the life group leaders are excited to be a part and do it again. And uh, I know that you guys who were a part of life groups enjoyed it and had a good time. You got a lot out of it. It's going to be even better the second round. So, well, let me pray.